Thank you, Nick. If you would, please hold on to your worship folder. Please take it out one more time. I want to highlight two important announcements that need a little exposition. Uh, one in the center page here, at the bottom it says Covenant Trust. What is Covenant Trust? Covenant Trust is an organization within our denomination that exists to help uh, members uh, and friends of our de- denomination steward their resources in kingdom ways over a long period of time. So, for example, let's say you are sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, uh, I don't have a will and I really need a will. Covenant Trust can help you get, uh, create a will and they will do it for free. There's some caveats to that, but it, it's a great way to get a will. If, for example, uh, you are here today and you're thinking, you know, I haven't really done much retirement thinking projection in my world, uh, and may, let's say maybe you're 52 like me, or maybe you're 22. Either way, you need to now start thinking about what do you need to have in resources as you move forward and steward God's resources well. Covenant Trust will help you do that. Uh, how do you take the money God has given you and uh, in, within our tax laws maximize that money for kingdom purposes? Covenant Trust will help advise. So, next Sunday, we are going to have a Covenant Trust seminar uh, here at 9 o'clock and at 10.30. I believe it's in the, uh, oh, it's in the fireside room. So, please show up. Uh, you will be very glad you did. It'll be very helpful. Second thing I want, you to, tell you, I want to tell you about is uh, National Day of Prayer is happening on May 2nd, and Faith Covenant is taking a bus to the Capitol to pray for our government. Now, how many of you think that the church is biblically called to be for the government in which we reside? Raise your hands. Absolutely. Too often the message the church uh, sends is we are against the government. But actually the scriptures call us to love everyone and the scriptures call us to pray for our officials and we are going to be a part of doing that on Thursday. You can be a part of that particular gathering which uh, the theme this year is love one another. How many of you think it would help our country and the climate of our country if we would love one another? Raise your hands. Very good, yes. And so you can actually be a part of demonstrating in the most practical way praying for our elected officials. And if you're sitting here thinking, I know what this is, this is some partisan da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you need to know it's absolutely not. I've been there, I have participated uh, in, in this event, and you will come away more appreciative of God's call to prayer and more appreciative of our government. So, uh, Sharon Aldridge is going to stand right now. Would you, Sharon? Give Sharon a big round of applause. You can email Sharon. The email's in your worship folder. You can call Sharon. Her phone number's in the worship folder. Or you can find Sharon down the hall, yes, and you can sign up for that bus on Thursday. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Sharon. 
We, my name's Brad, by the way, and uh, we are going to be doing Q&A after the message. I think this message will provide a great number of wonderful discussion points for your lunch and also for Q&A. And so if you'd like to uh, text in a question, please do to that number, or you can write out a question in the Ask Pastor Brad card in your folder, in your seat pocket in front of you. Let's pray before we go further. Holy God, you are the source of all life. You are the source of everlasting life. And Lord, we want life everlasting. And we don't want to wait for later. We want to live in it now, and we don't want it to end. And yet within that, God, we have all kinds of fears and probably some misinformation We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we might see what your truth is about life everlasting. In your name we pray, amen. So, for the past couple months, we have been in a series called The Body, where we've been exploring the reason and purpose God gave you a body. Where have we been thus far? Number one, we, would, we have said this. We are physically made in God's image. It's not just your emotions. It's not just your intellect. But your physical being is purposely made in the image of God. You are made to, to reflect God's image into His creation. Secondly, good news, you were created by love. If God is love and the Scriptures say God is love, then you were created by love. And you were created to use your body as an instrument of love. You were designed to give give love and receive love, love of God, love of others, two greatest commandments. Thirdly, your life with God is not just about the spiritual stuff. Your life with God is about the physical stuff as well. What you do with your body matters. What you do with your body has consequences. And then finally, you are not not your body. You are not not your body. You are body, mind, and spirit. That is all you. You are not some ghost in the machine, a soul simply poured into a structure. No, you were created by God to be integrated, body mind, and spirit. That's all you, and that's all you eternally. And last week, of course, we talked on Easter Sunday about resurrection. Yes. Glad some of you listened. Uh, We talked about resurrection, and uh, we defined resurrection very simply. Resurrection is bodily life after bodily death. Uh, Jesus was resurrected. We talked about the reality that the Scriptures say one day after Jesus returns, we will too be resurrected. And that is a physical resurrection. While for centuries a good chunk of people inside the church and out have uh, imagined our eternal life as some sort of ghost-like experience, uh, strumming harps in the ether, that is actually not our biblical Hope. The Bible clearly teaches uh, one day the physically resurrected Jesus will return to earth. There will then be a physical resurrection of the dead 
final judgment, and then a coming together of the new heavens and the new earth. Yours, yours and my eternity will be physical, not just spiritual. But all this begs a question. Where are those who've died in Christ now? Where are those who've died in Christ now? Clearly, Jesus has not yet returned. The resurrection, resurrection of the dead has not yet occurred. If you were to die tonight, where would you go after your body was cremated or buried six feet under? The quick answer, of course, is, well, I'll hopefully be in heaven, right? But what does the Bible say about heaven? If you read the scriptures, one of the things you'll see is the biblical writers don't always start with heaven as that place you go after you die. Rather, they use the word heaven to indicate the realm of God. And they use the word earth to indicate the realm of humanity. And this is played out in the uh, Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on our realm, as it is in your realm, as it is in heaven. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. May it be in, in the realm of humanity the way it is in your realm, God. And thus the great Jewish hope of the Scriptures was the eventual coming together of the realm of God and the realm of humanity, where, uh, where the knowledge of God is all in all, it's right out of Isaiah, where God rules and reigns in an eternal kingdom of shalom, of peace, where heaven and earth are one and God dwells with his people eternally. This being the case, I'm going to make a provocative statement, and it is this. Heaven is not our eternal home. Heaven is not our eternal home. The Bible doesn't speak of our eternal destination as heaven. It rather says the new earth is our eternal home. And just an FYI, uh, what you're going to hear is from um, three main speakers, Wayne Groot, thinkers, Wayne Grudem, N.T. Wright, and a, a guy named Randy Alcorn. Now, if all this is, is new news to you, this is what the Scriptures say. Revelation 21, you'll see it on the screens. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be uh, with them and be their God. So our eternal destination is not spiritual alone. It is physical as well. It is, we would say, even earthly. Bible smart guy Wayne Grudem puts it this way. Christians often talk about living with God in heaven forever. But in fact, the biblical teaching is richer than that. It tells us that there will be new heavens and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live with God there. There will be a joining of heaven and earth 
in this new creation. There will be joining together of the realm of God and the realm of humanity. We see this if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We see this was God's intention all along. God and humanity dwelling together in shalom in physical space. All right. Okay, Pastor Brad. So this really hasn't answered the question yet, though. Where are those who've died in Christ now? Well, the best way I've found to answer this is what is referred to in theology as uh, the intermediate state, uh, a transitional period between our lives on earth and our future resurrection on the new earth. For our purposes, I'm going to borrow from Randy Alcorn, who uses this phrase. I think this is more helpful than intermediate state. He talks about the present heaven. The realm of God we inhabit between our death on earth and our resurrection in the new heaven, new earth. And if all this is a bit confusing, you know, if you think about, okay, how do I talk about where I end up eternally? He uses this illustration. He writes, imagine you lived in a homeless shelter in St. Paul. It's clearly not the life of your deepest longing. But then one day you learn that you've inherited a beautiful house, fully furnished, on a gorgeous hillside, overlooking the ocean in Santa Barbara. With the home comes a wonderful job. You have a vocation. You have something to do. Not only that, you're going to be near close family members with whom you lost contact years ago. So on your flight to Santa Barbara, you will change planes in Chicago, where you'll spend the afternoon with, these, with some family members whom you haven't seen in years, who will be joining you and boarding the plane to Santa Barbara. When you get your Minneapolis, when you get to Minneapolis, the, the airport there, and the flight attendant says where you headed, you're not going to say Chicago. No, you're going to say your, your destination is Santa Barbara, your final destination. In a similar way, the intermediate or present heaven we go to uh, when we die is kind of like, like Chicago. It's a temporary destination along the way to our eternal destination, the new earth, the place where heaven and earth come together and God once again dwells with His people. All right. That's a lot of thinking. Send in your questions. Now, what is life like in the present heaven? What is our hope for, for loved ones who've passed, or our hope should we die tomorrow in Christ? The Bible gives us some very good clues. I'm going to mention three of them. We're going to start with the thief on the cross, all right? So, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of these thieves ridiculed him. The other thief said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what does this tell us about the thief's moments after he died? Well, we would say, it seems from Jesus' words, he clearly is in paradise, all right, with Jesus. Did Jesus indicate he's asleep or unconscious? 
That's not really in there. The implication is you'll be with me today in paradise and you're not going to be sleeping. You're going to be conscious. Interestingly, the Greek word for paradise there is a word that is often used to indicate an enclosed garden, which is interesting if you think of that in light of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the Garden of Eden. So what do we learn here? Well, the thief is going to be with God. He's going to be with God in a place that is paradise, humanity and God living together. So we could say, in the present heaven, we are with God in paradise. What does that mean for your loved ones, for my loved ones? What does that mean for you? When we pass from death to life, we are with God in paradise. Let's look at another passage. In Acts 7, uh, verses 55, actually 54 through 56, the context here is the, the risen Jesus has already ascended, and Stephen, one of his followers, has is, uh, is been trying to convince the local religious leaders that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, uh, and that the kingdom of God has been ushered in already through Christ. They don't like what he's saying. They go a bit nuts on him. Verse 54 says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists in rage. But Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven, into the realm of God, and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then read this. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And right after that vision, they picked up rocks, they stoned him. Stephen became the first Christian martyr. Now, what do we learn about this, the present heaven right here? Well, we could say in the present heaven, the resurrected Jesus is present and he's glorified. He is in that place of honor next to the Father. Again, Wayne Grudem writes, Stephen did not see mere symbols of a state of existence. It was rather that his eyes were opened to see a spiritual dimension of reality which God has hidden from us in this present age within which Jesus now lives in his physical resurrected body. So let's say this year is the year you get that unexpected doctor's report. And you begin the journey toward death. Well, from this passage, what greets you on the other side? Is it Jesus, the friendly ghost? No. It's Jesus, the resurrected Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see him face to face. I mean, just think about it for a second. Imagine seeing the resurrected Jesus glorified face-to-face, there is no condemnation. Your sins have been completely taken away. You're away from the evil corruption, evil and corruption of this world, and what greets you is the loving arms of Jesus glorified in His resurrected body. That's good news. Another example Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. This is often called the transfiguration. This is actually before Jesus' death and before his resurrection. Uh, 
Jesus has called his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, The text says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led uh, led them up a high mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance changed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothing became dazzling white. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, who are Moses and Elijah? Well, they're two prophets, two bigwigs, but they'd been dead for centuries. And here they are with Jesus, and we learn some things about them. One, we would say, well, in the present heaven, according to that text, we can communicate with each other. They were talking. They were talking with Jesus. And it's interesting, if you look at it, they weren't talking like on different planes, like like Jesus was 20 feet tall and they were four feet tall. No, it, was, it, it appears that they're talking on, on uh, the same level and communicating with each other. They are in a form where they can literally approach Jesus and they can communicate with each other and they can communicate with Jesus. And so we could also then discern that in the present heaven, we are recognizable. We have a nature that is physical enough to be recognizable. So according to the Bible, when you die, you clearly retain your personhood. You don't just go and become part of the eternal force field. No, in the present heaven, you are you. You're recognizable in some physical form that is able to talk, but not yet apparently a, a physically resurrected body because physical resurrection comes after the, uh, the physical return of Christ. So, a lot to think about. Let's bring it all home. According to the Bible, we can say with certainty that after we die, we are with Jesus in paradise. We're in that place where there is no more dying or uh, sin or dying or crying. We are with the Lord. Secondly, we're still us. You are still recognizable. If I die, I would see my grandma uh, and recognize her, and she would see me. Your loved ones would see you, and you would recognize them, and you can communicate with those around you. You know, our friend Dan Dan Lowry, uh, who passed away just before Easter, Dan can now communicate with Moses and Elijah, his loved ones, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. Someone in the last service asked, will there be a line to talk to Jesus? I'm, I'm not sure how that works out. Now, all right, that seems to be good news. That seems to be something that would provide some hope. For the future. Just to bring some clarity, how is this all possible? Well, the answer is Jesus. Read this with me, if you would. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he, Jesus, destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. That's from the message translation. I, I, I like the different way of its uh, reading there. What does that mean? Well, Jesus' death and resurrection has destroyed the devil's hold on death. So, you don't have to be scared to death of death anymore. This being the case, it might be quite possible that God brought you here today to hear something that you needed to hear. And what might that be? 
Is it possible you have been moving through life a bit scared to death of death? And if so, I want you to hear, one, that's not really living, and two, that's not God's will for your life. God doesn't want you to be scared to death of death. Secondly, maybe you've been assuming some things about everlasting life that aren't really biblical. Well, if so, maybe this is a wonderful invitation to begin the journey, you and your family, with finding some greater clarity. What does the Bible actually say? I would, I would encourage uh, two books. Uh, uh, the most readable of the two is uh, Called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Uh, if you want to dive a little deeper and you're, you like reading a little more intellectual stuff, there's a book called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright that I think you would enjoy. Um, and if you were to choose maybe one thing from what we've talked about today to focus on as you walk out of here today, what would that be? And what is God then inviting you to do, change, or pray about? Maybe today is the day you finally surrender and just trust God's promise of abundant life today and forever. I do know this. For those who are in Christ, death need not sting. Let's stop there. I'm going to invite Nick up. We're going to do some Q&A. And then we will pray after that. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do this two or three times a month. I always reserve the right to be wrong. We had a wonder, uh, number of wonderful questions in the last service. If you've written down a question, uh, wave it in the air and an usher will come down and they will take it from you and bring it up to us. I don't know why that's not doing that. Let's do this. Um, why don't you give me, just go for it. If you are married, will you know you were married and know that your spouse was your spouse in the present heaven or anyone in general, your family, friends, etc.? Um, I, I, would, I would say there's nothing to indicate that you won't know you were married. The, Jesus has asked the question about marriage in the afterlife, and uh, the indication is there, there is a second marriage, and that is that marriage between the church and uh, the groom, Jesus, in, in a great wedding feast, um, I, I would say, as you think about, you know, will you, <laughs> will you be married in heaven um, or married in your eternal life, um, the best way to think about that is God is better than you can imagine, and uh, God is gooder <laughs> than, than you can imagine. And so while some would say, oh, I, w I so want to be married in, uh, for eternity, um, God has something in store that is far greater than you can imagine. And so there will not, as you think about your life with your spouse, spouse in the afterlife, it is not, you will not be living with Christ uh, in regret regarding that relationship. I think it'll be even better than you can imagine. But it, Jesus is clear, we're not married the way we, we consider marriage in this life. People who have lost loved ones are often comforted by the thought that their loved ones is watching over them. Is there anything to back this biblically? Um, 
it's not, there's, there's not great clarity in that. Um, there is, if you go to Revelation, um, you, there is indication that, for example, uh, the martyrs who have been martyred, who are kind of uh, mourning or groaning that justice has not come, um, that, that they have knowledge of what's happening um, in this life. Um, but there's the idea that our loved ones are watching over us is, is, not, is not clear um, in, in the Scriptures. And, but yet, but yet there's, it seems there's knowledge. And so I guess it, means, it depends upon what you mean by watching over us. Um, I guess that's all I have. Do we receive our resurrected glorified bodies at return of Jesus or when we die? Um, the, the resurrection of the dead, according to what the scriptures say, give greatest indication that the resurrection of the dead comes after Jesus' physical return. Will I get a new body in heaven? If I keep my current body, will it be healthy and whole? For example, if I were blind, will I not be blind anymore? Yeah, so the... We, we, our physical ailments would be part of what makes our bodies perishable. Um, Paul talks about how our bodies are raised imperishable. And so the indication is that our, our bodies are, are resurrected in ways that are whole and healed and will not ever perish. And so um, the indication is that that, that, blind, that blindness would no longer exist. We would be completely healed in every way. Do pets go to heaven? <laughs> you know, uh, I used to kind of laugh at, and I'm sorry, I just laughed at it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, one, um, we didn't, we, one of the things we didn't really touch on, but I will just give a little foreshadowing, I think we'll try to get at this later in the summer, is that our greatest understanding of our eternal life is a resurrected body in a resurrected earth. Okay? So while Jesus is not, Jesus is the best starting point for your understanding your own physical resurrection, Jesus is also the best starting point for understanding what is going to happen to this physical realm. There's a lot there. Um, and so... The idea that uh, there is a renewal of all things is there. Um, I would think um, some of the thinkers I, I noted, Wayne Grudem, Randy Alcorn, um, uh, N.T. Wright, would have some good thoughts on that. There's another great book out that I read, a great review by re people I respect, and uh, 40 Questions About Heaven and Hell, which also... Uh, I'm sure that question is in there. And so that might be a good book to get as well. Is the present heaven where the belief of purgatory comes from? You know, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. So the, the, the idea, the teaching of purgatory is more born out of the Catholic tradition. I don't really know if anyone knows about um, Eastern Orthodox that tradition, whether that is part of their tradition as well. Um, I, so I'm not sure. Uh, the, the reason our stream of Christianity, which is Protestantism, does not um, argue for purgatory is because we don't see it 
specifically noted in Scripture. Um, our Catholic brothers and sisters would, uh, if they were here, be able to give a very uh, good argument, because they've been thinking about this for a long time, about why they believe in purgatory. Um, how that doctrine was raised up, I'm not exactly sure, uh, so I don't know how to answer that question. Church attendance. Come to church, you won't go to purgatory. There you go. <laughs> if Christians go to paradise after death, what happens to non-Christians? Okay. Um, so, the... Um, I'll try to answer this. Just, so we're, we're trying to get, what does the Bible say? So the, the Bible talks about, um, in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the realm of the dead, Sheol. In the New Testament, Greek, we have the word Hades. Both are, are, are essentially uh, the place of the dead, where, where you go when you die. Uh, the indication is uh, those outside of, those who've rejected the grace that God has offered through Christ live separate from, uh, from that grace in, uh, in the consequence of that rejection, in torment. So um, if, if, uh, Nick sa- if, I, if, if I've wronged Nick and Nick says, I forgive you, and I say, I don't care if you forgive you, if you forgave me, I don't like you, I don't even love you, I don't want to be anywhere near you, then I do not get to participate in the grace that Nick has given me, okay? So I'm living outside of that grace. Imagine what that would be like, and I don't know that we have the, the, the ability to imagine it well, but what it would be to reject the perfect love, the perfect grace of the God who has done everything possible to, ama- to make our communion with Him everlasting. The Scriptures indicate there is the first death, and in that rejection, that would be in hell. The Revelation 20 talks about a second death uh, in, in judgment where uh, Satan, the angels, and those who've rejected Christ uh, are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, and so there is a, a, an eternal consequence that is uh, not good um, biblically. That's a, that, that needs some more unpacking, so maybe we can get to that later in the summer as well. We've got a long journey in this series, just so you all know. <laughs> One more. How are we bodily recognizable after cremation? Ah, I'm glad someone asked that question because I, I thought someone would, and I, I've, I've written about this at another point, and so I actually uh, put it on my sermon notes and just noted it as uh, a possible answer. So let me find it here real quick. Ah, here we go. Um, so see us, so again, the question is about cremation, all right? So how does, how does that work? You have this... You die in a fire, okay, or you're cremated. How does that work? C.S. Lewis uh, speaks of us, of our beings like a waterfall. Hang with this. What constitutes a waterfall is the curve of the ever-changing flow of water. That's a waterfall, ever-changing flow of water. Uh, As we know, we change our entire physical body, every atom and molecule, over a period of seven years or so. I am physically a totally different body than I was ten years ago. Think about that. But 
I'm still me. And T. Wright says this, so it really doesn't matter whether we get the identical molecules back or not. The ones we use for a while have been used by other organisms before us and will use, be, be used by others when we are done with them. Dust we are, and to dust we shall return. But God can do new things with dust. Hmm. Talk about that at lunch. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Nick. Uh, give Nick a big round of applause. Lots of, of great questions here. I encourage you to take your questions and uh, go to the Bible and, and seek answers. Um, you can go online and, and find crazy answers and good answers. What you want to do is, you want, if you're going to go online and search for answers, uh, find them from people who are using the Scriptures uh, with integrity. And it's also helpful to maybe find, okay, is this person that I'm reading here, is this a person that is respected by other people um, in, in my stream of Christianity, or is this just someone living in their mom's basement? <laughs> uh, all right. Let's bow our heads. I would like you to hear uh, Jesus' words to Thomas, uh, and I just think they're very helpful for us in this particular and I need to find them here. Well, here, I'll paraphrase them. <laughs> uh, Jesus essentially says, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't tell you that I'm going to play a, prepare a place for you if I didn't really mean it. You, you, you know where that place is. And Thomas says, no, we don't. <laughs> Would you please tell us? And Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's going to prepare a place for us. See, you know, we talk about mansions within uh, Christianity, mansions of glory. This is the idea that God has prepared a place for you. How do we get there? He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So what I'd like to do right now is if there's anyone here who's thinking, you know what? Uh, I've never crossed that line of faith to say I'm going to trust in and depend upon Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you've been going after other ways and other truths and other lives. In Christianity, we see great clarity and great gift in the fact that God has created a way. And the way is Jesus, who is perfect in every way, who loves you madly, who, could love you, who loves you now more than you could ever love yourself. So if, if you would like to give your life to Christ today for the very first time, you could simply pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I am missing the mark and I need to be rescued. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. I ask you to fill me with your life-giving Holy Spirit and empower me to follow you today and evermore.
I don't want to live scared to death of death anymore. And for the rest of us, God, may we carry this message of hope and great clarity that you've created a way and that there's nothing but goodness on the other side for those who will trust the way. We pray, God, that our church would be an instrument of declaring this great, life-changing, eternity-changing good news. Empower us, God, to make disciples of the way, the truth, and the life. In your name we pray, amen. Good stuff. Uh, So glad we could be together today. Next week, as we continue our series on the body, it's going to be Freedom Weekend. Uh, We're going to be focusing on um, what does it mean for uh, the way we treat bodies in this world that um, is trafficking in um, uh, sex is trafficking in pornography, is trafficking in all kinds of ways that denigrate the the image-bearing body that God has given given us. This will be a PG uh, service next week. Uh, Children will be with us, but uh, invited to to leave like they they do every week um, to be a part of children's ministry during that PG sermon next week. So I invite you to come back next week. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll have prayer people down here who would love to pray with you this Uh, morning if you have anything on your heart that you would like prayer for. And um, I'm going to ask, oh, and if you're a visitor, uh, Jill and I are going to be at the blue welcome tables just as you exit to the right. Uh, Church, I would love it if every envelope on the wall of money is taken today and filled with money (laughs) for our teens who are going on mission trips this summer. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me this closing prayer. Let's say it out loud together, shall we? So go now, not as accidents without purpose, but put one foot in front of the other as image bearers of the living God. He is the Word in flesh and bones, and we, the church, His body. Take the Word you've heard with real ears and the truth you've processed in fleshy brain, put breath to vocal cords, and give voice to God's love. So when people see you, they see Jesus with skin on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.